Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We were going to talk about why is Kentucky the cancer capital of America. And yet, here we are. We are live on this uh, new network. We're live on this new network. And thank you so much for joining me, everybody. This is Harriet Kamek with Down to Earth. And I thank you. You have joined us at an opportune time as we're about to launch into prayer to pray for our nation. We're going to pray for our nation. We're going to pray for our leaders. We're going to pray for all of us who are in this country at this time. We're going to pray for our world. The government has closed our borders, which is going to go into effect very much shortly. That means we're not going to allow anyone in. Now, you can leave if you want to, but if you are coming back, well, they're going to close it for 30 days. You're going to have to wait a while. That means they're trying to contain everything. In In a very short time, they're going to enforce the way we travel within our states, within our cities, within a, from state to state. If you have to go take care of family members in another state, for children who are being picked up from college, if you have a child in college anywhere right now, I suggest you start making arrangements for them to come home. If they're on the East Coast and you live on the West Coast, college is done for the rest of the semester. We might as well call it. Get your kid right now. Don't let them tarry. Don't let them say, oh, I'm going to hang with a friend. You know how kids are. I'm going to hang with a friend for a week or two. Then they get on a, in a car and then they get lost traveling across the country. Tell them get home now. You heard me. Don't stop to visit a friend or you're going to stay overnight with a friend. Get home now. Tell them make their way home. If, you're, if you are in Chicago and you have a child who is going to college in the South in Louisiana, or in Texas, tell them get 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 home now. Get on a car. Send them a bus fare. Tell them get home right now. Right this minute. Everybody needs to be gathered around the fireplace, gathered at home. You need to know where they are. You don't want them out on the street because anything can happen. It's getting ready, right? It's going to be a petri dish in a minute. And the time is running out for us all to be safe. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have enough stuff in your homes to take care of what is going to happen. Whatever you have, hold on to it. It's going to be what it is for a while. We're going to learn to do without. In America, we're so accustomed to just having what we want, when we want, how we want it, the way we want it, have it our way all the time. This is the first time that for most of us, we're going to learn that things are not going to go our way the way we expect it to, right? And thank you. We need to hold on to that. Now, We're going to have to trust God that the country we know and love is going to remain. Are you with me? We're going to have to trust God. You heard me. We're going to have to trust God that the country will remain. We're going to have to trust in the leadership of the people who lead us. We don't have a choice. We're going to have to trust that the spirit of God 
will lead them into making the right decisions that will benefit all of us. We're going to have to trust God and pray for our leaders that they will be imbued with common sense and they will be imbued with the right spirit from God so they will be wise and make wise decisions. We're going to have to trust God. You're going to have to move on your children so they will hear you. I know that they think they're young adults, especially the ones in the first two years of college. Man, do they think they're grown. This is nothing. You're telling them to come home, and they're like, Mom, Dad, shut up. Stop take, stop calling. Stop this. Stop that. Impress upon them. This is not a good time together with anybody else. Amen. Tell them, come home. If they want to go hang out, they want to go to other people. This is not a good time to hang out at anyone's house. You don't know who they've come in contact with. You don't know who has the virus, who doesn't. You don't know what kind of symptoms they're carrying. Don't expose yourself. You have Netflix and Hulu and Comcast or AT&T or whatever cable provider exists. That's going to be enough for a while. Or you know what we all going to do? Pick up a book and read it. Amen. This is a time when we're going to gather around and we're going to pray. First prayer we're going to do, we're going to pray for our leaders. We're going to pray for our city leaders, our county leaders, our state leaders. Then we're going to pray for our national leaders. And then we're going to pray for our healthcare professionals. We must pray and intercede for the doctors, the emergency room physicians, the the physician's assistants, the nurse practitioners the CNAs, the nursing assistants, the nurse, the phlebotomist, the per the lab tech who has to take the, 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 the blood. We're going to pray for the orderlies and all the people who are involved, the orderlies who have to clean up behind as people are sick. We're going to pray for everyone involved in healthcare. We're going to pray for EMTs. We're going to pray for law enforcement. We're going to pray for the police. We're going to pray for those who keep law and order. We're going to pray for our borders, that at this time, while we are distracted, nobody thinks it's a perfect time for them to try anything with us. While we're working on a virus, they think it's a good time for them to try something. They might just encounter something else, because these boys love homeland, and we love our homeland. Ain't nobody going to do anything to us. Amen? We're strong. We're a great people. We're a good people. And we're strong and we are able to get through this. And we will. We will get through this. Our bodies are perfectly and fearfully made. And we're going to fight this virus. And we're going to overcome this. And then we're going to pray for our seniors. I don't want to talk about it. I'm so glad my parents are gone. I could not imagine losing my mom through something like this. I'm so glad she's gone already. I'm so glad my dad is gone. We're going to pray for our seniors. If you have your parents, you need to be on the phone with them night and day. You need to call them first thing in the morning. You need to call them at night. You remember when they used to tuck you in and make you feel safe? It's your turn to make your parents feel safe. Call them up. Even above their objections, oh, darling, I'm fine. You don't have to call me. Call them anyway. They're looking forward to it, by the way. They're checking the phone. Oh, he's going to call me in a minute now. She's going to call me in a minute now. Call your parents. Call your grandparents. Call your mom's sister. Call your mom's brother. Call your dad's sister. Call the woman who raised you. 
Call the teacher who fed you during school, who helped you with your homework. Call the social worker who helped you when you were out on parole. Call your seniors and check in on them. Are you okay? Can I get you something? Order something. It might take a while to get to their door, but order it anyway. Pretty soon, they're going to impose moratoriums, and they're going to say that seniors in Italy and in Finland, they've already done that, where seniors can go shopping at a specific hour, and nobody else can go at that time because they're most vulnerable. That is going to happen eventually. we got to take care of our folks. These are our people. These people built the country. They left something for us. I know young people like to say, well, you messed up and you gave us it. They're just repeating a line. They have no idea what they're talking about. They have no idea the struggles and the sacrifices that a generation before had to make so you and I can live free today. They don't know what that is like. We, you, we obviate that. We forget that. If they didn't fight in World War I, if they didn't fight in World War II, regardless of what kind of politics that led to the scrimmage, it is what it is. If they didn't stand up and defend, it wouldn't be here. We need to pray for one another. And then we're going to pray for us, you and I, individually. So first, we're going to pray for our leaders, our local leaders, the ones of the state, in, in departments around our state, in our cities, the ones that are county level and the ones that are state level. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for everyone listening right now. I pray for our leaders as we come together, Jesus. You will imbue them with the strength that they need to go through this crisis. I pray that you will give them this, they will know that you are the source of their strength. I pray that you will give them wisdom to make the decisions that will impact our daily life for the next coming weeks, for the next several weeks. Father God, I pray right now for pastors who seem like and who look like they might lose their church as their congregations are emptied out. Father God, I pray for, oh Jesus. In the name of Jesus I pray for our leaders at the federal level I pray for those who are making decisions About the delivery of health care right now I pray for the president, the vice president I pray for the speaker of the house The candidates running for president I pray for the senators and the congressmen And their staffers I pray for people at the World Health Organization I pray for people at the CDC I pray for the administrators of hospitals And healthcare facilities in the name of Jesus, give them the strength. They will need physical strength. And Father God, I pray for law enforcement. I pray for police and firemen and EMTs. Oh God, give us the victory. In the name of Jesus, I pray for state troopers and the FBI. I pray for the people whom we don't know, the people at the NSC, the people who see who don't see us, but we don't see them. I pray for the army and the military, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, these brave men and women who will fight and defend our homeland. In the name of Jesus. I pray for health care workers, Lord God, on the front line. Jesus, cover them, touch their hands, touch their hearts, give them a heart of compassion. Give them a supernatural strength, Jesus. The EMT, the ambulance. The nurses, the doctors, oh God, in the name of Jesus, the lab techs, Lord God Almighty, give us the vision, the strength, oh God, stop the bickering, stop the panicking, let us cooperate to help one another. 
I pray for the governor of this state, the attorney general. I pray for the governor of New York State, the governor of Washington State. I pray for all our governors, Lord God Almighty, in the name of Jesus. I pray for our senators, Lord Jesus, I pray for all of us. I pray for our seniors, our parents, our grandparents, our great aunts, the people who raised us, the people who had a hand in giving us and helping us to become who we are. I pray for them right now in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that you will help us, you will bless us, you will keep us. I pray for people who are coming home, Jesus. I pray right now for all of us, Lord God. I pray that we will not panic. I pray right now you will give us strength, give us hope. My friends, I encourage you to look up and look higher unto the God who is able to carry us through. Jesus, if you have to, you will part a way to keep us through this. I pray for our seniors, Lord God, who are wondering what will they eat. They're in apartment buildings that are just a real petri dish if we think about it. Nobody has gone up to these apartment towers where our seniors are and cleaned it out. Jesus, I pray you right now that our city and county leaders will see them. And Father, I pray for our military, our men and women who are overseas, who are watching their country, their homeland. And I pray for those who are here. Lord God, strengthen them, the courage that they will need. I pray for all of us that we will cooperate with the authorities. I pray we will not panic, that we will hold on to our hope, that there is another side to this, and that this too shall pass. And Father, I encourage us all to read the words in Psalm 121. I will, say this after me, I will look upon to the hills, from whence cometh my help, my help cometh from the Lord. I pray right now that the Lord will help those. I pray the Lord will help our leaders to make the decisions as tough as they are. I pray they will have wisdom. I pray for cooperation across all sectors. We're not Republican today. We're not Democrats through this. We are Americans. We are humans. We are people. And Father, lastly, I pray for our friends and our brothers and sisters in Italy and Spain and France and the UK, our brothers and sisters in China, our brothers and sisters in Venezuela, Brazil, our brothers and sisters in Mexico, Costa Rica, Guatemala, Honduras, the nations of the sea. Yesterday, there was panic in Manila in the Philippines. Lord God, I pray for our brothers and sisters and your people. In the name of Jesus, I pray for our brothers and sisters in the islands of the sea, in Jamaica, in American Samoa, in Puerto Rico. I pray for all of us, Jesus, that we will unite as people. We will become one people who look up onto the hills where God is. And Father God, I trust you that you will come down and you will help us. You will get us through this no matter what it looks like. It might not be a physical war of weapons, but this is a war that has come to attack our human bodies. And Father God, we bind up all viruses and and viruses from coming against us in the name of Jesus. I speak healing to our minds. And for those, Lord God, my brothers and sisters, Jesus, for whom this is too much to bear, for whom this is too much, Lord God, for whom... The mental strength is not there, Jesus. For who succumb to panic and paranoia, I pray peace and steadiness during this hour. In the mighty name of Jesus. And I thank you right now in Jesus' name. 
and all in agreement say amen. Thank you so much, everybody. This has been a special edition. There's a caller on the line. Let me see what he has to say. Hey there. Thanks so much for joining us. Hello. Good morning. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Good morning. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes, I can. I took yeah. a look at your headline. And yeah. you were talking about how what Kentucky is the cancer uh, state of the nation. So I wanted to mm-hmm. find out um, what your opinion was of that. Did you find out through research why it is? Is it due to electrical uh, cell phone towers, um, electrical <laughs> towers? What did you find out? Well, we found out there are a number of factors in Kentucky. There, one part of the state in particular, eastern Kentucky, seems to be caught up in a historical bind where people are traditional. Uh, in fact, uh, when the reporter went to do the story, what they found was that that part of the state is actually under construction. There's a lot of dirt roads there. So there's not health care delivery. Here's the thing with us. Uh, here in America, America is so big and large. This is what I refer to as economies of scale all the time. That when people say, why can't we do universal health care? And I am like, you do realize we have over 3 million square miles. That's one. We have almost 400 million people. So people in other countries and smaller countries like France and Italy, when you look at the economies of scale, we're not quite on their level. They're not on our level. So what is impacting folks in Kentucky is the delivery of health care. They didn't cite in the report that uh, cell phone towers had anything to do with it. It was more lifestyle. They have not reached where we are, the awareness that we have, simply because of their geographic location. And the, 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 the healthcare system's ability to, perhaps they overlooked them and didn't deliver healthcare. Let me read you some stuff that I came across. Uh, Kentucky has, Eastern Kentucky has, is number one in mortality rates per capita. And this is due to heart, lung disease, and diabetes. These are all preventable illnesses that we know are preventable through lifestyle, right? A lot of what happens to Kentucky is because it's a rural part of the state, it's marked by poverty and soaring unemployment. And if there's unemployment and there's poverty, what's that going to do? It's going to impact public health, right? And so Kentucky is is trying to, this was brought to the attention of the public by the University of Kentucky, and they're trying to develop a new system of public health that is going to create prevention just like we're doing in other metropolitan parts of the country. This new, uh, this new design is designed specifically to create an awareness in people and hopefully make people see. You know one of the biggest things in healthcare is prevention, right? Well, how do you prevent... Okay, well, let me, let, me see if I, let me see if I get what you're saying. You're saying it's not because... Or you haven't found for the research, maybe because of um, of technology. It's because the people in Kentucky, and I'm presuming you mean mostly Appalachia or the poor people there, um, don't know how to take care of themselves and or the um, the facilities, medical facilities there, don't deliver the kind of up-to-date, upgraded um, technological advances that other people enjoy throughout the United States. Is that what you're saying? Yes. So the hospitals yes. there basically are either non-existent or if they do exist, 
they're delivering sub-quality care. It's not that they're delivering. The people are not going forward for screenings because they're hampered by poverty. If they're poor, they probably don't have transportation to go to the nearest hospital or medical center to be screened. If you feel like your blood, you wake up one morning, you feel dizzy, you don't know where if your blood pressure is too high or if your blood sugar is too high. But you definitely, you don't have a car. So you're not going to go drive there just because you feel dizzy. So a lot of what happens, like you and I, for instance, we don't feel good. We call the doctor, make an appointment, drive up to the doctor, and we get a screening. And they tell you no, I don't. <laughs> well, no, that's I don't. for most of us. Well, I, I don't know. I don't even if it's for most. If it's um, if it's an ongoing chronic type of symptom, which could be indicative of something which is serious, I'm sure that a lot of people would go to the doctor. But for chronic aches and pains and for other types of symptoms which don't seem to be either life-threatening or debilitating, um, I myself don't go to a doctor. Um, doctors really don't do much other than prescribe something that you already know, um, such as, mm-hmm. well, you've got a disease. They may give you a certain name for it. You may not know as muscular dystrophy or so, but other than that, um, if you know you have the flu, or you may not know you have the flu, or you have some other kind of pain, some other kind of, um, of sickness, I wait it out because to go mm-hmm. to a doctor to me is a waste of time and money. I don't know about other people. There are people who go to the emergency room for just about everything. I right. um, I don't. So I don't know. What, I don't know if I'm the norm or not. But if a person, I'm sure, regardless of where they live. If they have a chronic, debilitating, long-term type of symptom, regardless of how poor they are, they're either going to get a car, borrow a car, or get a cab to go to the hospital. Well, let me let me let me shed some light on that. Uh, a few years ago, I volunteered at a local church in Detroit. It's located in one of the poorest parts of Detroit. It's called Brightmoor, and uh, the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should call them this week because I want to find they donate food to the people in the community. So on an average per week, every Thursday, they were distributing 250 to 300 bags of groceries, right? That would last people for seven days, right? Okay. And I, I was okay. helping the pastor. I, I, I'm a minister. So I was helping the pastor. And after a while mm-hmm. for praying for people, you kind of get an idea of what people are going through. Everybody had was complaining about high blood pressure or diabetes or they were recovering from cancer or they had heart failure or something like that. So after after four weeks, I said to the pastor, whoa, maybe we need to get some health professionals in who can address these issues because these are preventable illnesses. These are not spiritual. My people perish for lack of knowledge. So I had, a, I had worked in healthcare, so I had a, at the time I had a quadrant of people I could call. So I called a, a, a medical doctor I knew, and I asked him to get his crew together. Then I called a nurse I knew and asked her to get her crew together. And we brought in uh, four nurses, a medical doctor, and, uh, and a physical therapist, and a nutritionist, and a fitness instructor. I can't begin to tell you, that place was packed out. There were 500 people showed up. I thought we would have 200 people, 500 people showed up. And when they came, we just, what we found out we should have done was ambulatory. We found out when we asked when the nurses, because I wanted to know the same question you're asking, 
why you live in an urban area, mm-hmm. you have access to a hospital, why aren't you going? Transportation. People walked a mile to come to the church because they heard a doctor and a nurse were going to be there. So poverty is sometimes a barrier to people being able to access health care. And these were largely, just like in eastern Kentucky, these were, these were largely preventable diseases, diabetes, uh, you know, high blood pressure. And diabetes is a killer. I hate diabetes because it leads to everything else that could go wrong. I hate diabetes with a passion. And so what we did when we ran that pilot program, we, I went to uh, some other folk to try, and I couldn't get funding because naturally I asked the nurses and the doctor, they were volunteering. We only did it for four weeks because we couldn't find the, uh, they, they had to be paid, right? Well, one of the nurses was so touched. He's from uh, the Philippines. He was so touched. You know, he kept going there for three months until he got burnt out. And I kid you not. What we found, how many uh-huh. lives they intersected. There were so, after a while, the ambulance were just parked down the street because we were going to call them because somebody was going to come in with a blood pressure so high. And, you, you know, the nurses would say, well, did you call 911? You could have called 911. The ambulance would have come to you. And they're like, we don't have a phone. We don't have transportation. It's not like I can dial up Uber, 1-800-UBER, and request an Uber to come in. So, okay, so these... I mean, so these so people these are, are so barriers. poor, they don't have a phone exactly. or a, um, and, or a Right, and it's not just the poverty of, of, of lack of economics. It's not just poverty as defined by lack of money. It's also poverty of lack of knowledge. It's also poverty of not knowing what resources uh, are available. Well, how would I mean? you not know? It, well, if you, ha- if you grew up, it, most of these folks we found out most of these folks, they live, but they don't pay attention. Uh, it, how could you not know is a good question, because that's a question I asked to. But there is no one answer. I found yeah. that drugs were a problem. Some of the folks, you have to look at the, re- you, you begin to now look at the socioeconomics behind the whole thing. It, because we were in an well, urban I'm trying setting. To, yeah, I'm trying to discover that. I'm, what I'm trying to find out is, if they didn't have a phone or a, or a computer, I can understand. Because if they're that poor, they're not going to get the knowledge coming to them through the air. But if they have a computer, then they know they can get on the Internet. And that's how people I get my know. information. I go. Sir, you'll be surprised. Huh? There are a lot of people who do not have access to that. There are some parts. Let me. A few years ago, I sat on a commission in, in, in Michigan. We were starting a human trafficking task force in the state of Michigan by Senator Judy Emmons, God bless her, right? And as we sat with a group of people across the state of Michigan, you know what became apparent? Broadband internet, as we know it, in these parts of Michigan, in southeastern Michigan, Grand Rapids, and Flint, and so on, and Lansing, it does not exist everywhere in Michigan. In the rural parts of Michigan, they have what we call sketchy internet. Well, it's the same thing happens in some part in the rural parts of, of America. There is what we call sketchy internet. So people don't have access to fast-moving internet that they're able to go to Google, 1-800-GOOGLE, and just www.google.google will tell me what is wrong with me. People don't have that. The delivery of what they see on television is mostly confined to network TV shows if they can get it. Rural America, you will find has not changed much in the last 40 to 50 years. And these are some of the barriers that prevent 
the delivery of healthcare. It's not that the infrastructure is not there. It's that people don't know what to ask for. So now the new thinking about healthcare professionals is that let's take it to them. You see what I'm saying? And these are, in the meantime, people are perishing from congestive heart failure caused by diet. People are perishing from high blood pressure caused by diet. You shouldn't eat so much corn. You shouldn't eat so much starch. You definitely don't need all that sugar in your diet. You need to exercise more. You see what I'm saying? So these are some of the issues. I'll post the link to the article so that you can read it through and through to see why folks in these areas. And that's a So the bottom line is, is that the so poor, they live, in a, um, they live in an area in which the Internet is not easily accessible. And as a result, they can't easily get the information that they need. So if they don't get that information, then they continue to live in a very ignorant lifestyle. Um, exactly. Is that what you're saying? Yes, in a lifestyle okay. that is conducive to them having more cancers than anywhere else in the country. There are also environmental factors as well. We do know that that area in the Appalachian Mountains, there was a lot of coal mining up there for a long time. And nobody mm-hmm. in the world is using coal as energy anymore because we know the the dangers that are associated with it. So if it is in the water table and it's in the ground and it's in the water table and people are drinking the water, what's going to happen? In some of those areas, you'll find that legislation is very lax. They're supposed to enforce how chemical companies uh, discharge chemicals into the environment. So people are drinking water that is cancer infused, their their livestock and their and their, their food is infused with cancer-causing agents, not because of them, but because there is no environmental legislation that protects them. They don't organize it. Well, they try to organize their bullet. Well, so there are no Do they organize? I don't know. They also didn't They didn't. Oh, okay. So you don't know if there's any organization that's trying to get... Um, to get rid of the cancer um, yes. causing the, the elements in the water. Of Kentucky, the University of Kentucky Rural Center, Rural Cancer Prevention Center, uh-huh. is doing a heck of a job. Uh, there is the Cancer Center in Hazard, and uh, there are other places that are doing it. Uh, the CDC is involved alarmingly. That is very alarming. But the CDC is the granddaddy of us all, so the CDC is everywhere. And uh, it's interesting. Uh, there are some scary numbers that I wasn't comfortable with because I didn't, I, I was kind of like, what the heck is it that only 7.3% of the population is uninsured? That's a good thing, right? It's less than the national average, mm-hmm. but only 1,000 people, 50, 1,500 people utilize services. So why are people not coming forward? Why, why, what is preventing individuals from coming forward? And a lot of these has to do with the individual's own barriers as well. Um, when you say the individual is coming forward, what individual is coming forward for what? The, the individuals who need to come forward to uh, access health care to prevent the diseases that are common to that area. Oh, so, okay, so the residents of whatever area of Kentucky you're talking about would no, go not to a hospital area. to complain about certain I focus specifically on Eastern Kentucky. I focus specifically on Eastern, Eastern Kentucky, Kentucky, not whatever area. Yes. Okay. 
So in that is that where Appalachia is? Yes. All right. Does Appalachia spread out further than eastern Kentucky? I don't do the geography. So this wasn't a, a study in geography. This was a study in a specific area of Kentucky that I found interesting. It identifies certain towns, but I don't want to call out the towns because I don't want people living in those areas to feel that we people who live in the north are calling them out. I don't want that. That's not what this is about. This is about why cancer is there and what all of us can do to be aware of what we can do individually and to take advantage of the resources right, that we so, have. Okay, so who, who, is, who is taking care of this particular type of problem, and how are they doing The university, it? well, there's, of course, the state health department. Uh, so in the state of Kentucky, of course, there's a Department of Health and Human Services. So they initiate a number of projects, but the University of Kentucky uh, began to look into this because they're researchers, so they wanted to focus on why this particular area of the state has become sort of a nexus for it. So they decided to do a study. I'll post the link so that the link will be posted to my Facebook page on my Twitter feed so you'll be able to read it for yourself. And if you have any questions, there are links within the story that will provide you with further information. You can continue to read it as you are curious about why this happens. I want to thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us this morning. I do have to move on. Thank you so much, sir. It's a pleasure. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So we kind of just figured into that, into, into why Kentucky is the cancer capital of America. Uh, the caller raised some interesting points. I think he's trying to figure out uh, why does this happen? But, you know, I, as I have, I worked in healthcare here in southeastern Michigan for a while. And uh, as I studied and looked at people's attitudes, uh, I was always amazed at the level of information that is communicated and how it's received down to the people who need it the most. Uh, So we're in healthcare and uh, we were in, I was in healthcare and we would go out into the community So you would go to someone's home and the nurse would sit and the social worker would sit and talk to folks about their bodies and so on based on a visit to the doctor that they had prior to. And then the doctor would require that follow-up visits by a nursing professional is required. So when the nurses would go out and talk to folks about their health, they would always be curious, like uh, there are steps they can take. So part of what we did, a great part of what nursing and, and healthcare in that setting is, is education. It's educating people on preventative steps that they themselves can take, much like what the healthcare professionals are doing with us now, are telling us how we can combat the virus, how we can prevent it. So at this stage of it, it's, it's about prevention. So if they already have it, well, we want it to be contained so it doesn't go any further. But I was always amazed that this information is, I felt like it was generally available, but then I was looking for the information. So I would be searching for the information so I would know. But there are people for whom survival is is all about what I can do right now, what I'm eating right now, what can I have access to. One of the things that people uh, told me in this urban setting was that they had difficulty accessing fresh fruit and vegetables. They had difficulty accessing food because they didn't have transportation 
So they would naturally have to walk to the corner store. The corner store invariably didn't carry fresh fruit and vegetables in large quantities. But what they did have was a lot of packaged food, a lot of processed food, and a lot of sugar-based foods. So a high blood pressure reading and a high blood sugar reading would perpetuate over time, even when the nurses and the doctors would apply educational instruments and prevention mechanisms by leaving material and literature, by explaining what to do and explaining what to eat. Even when we called in a nutritionist, even when the nurse in conjunction with a nutritionist would prepare a program and a specific meal plan for folks, we still found that people would say, well, most of you, but when you're gone, we don't have any way to get to, to, to buy fresh fruit and vegetables, right? And then, of course, by the same token, they sometimes didn't have transportation to get to the doctor. This is why our emergency rooms continue to be overrun, because it's easier to get someone to call 911 and get the ambulance to come and take them to the emergency room than it is to go to, uh, to visit the doctor. And you and I know that regular visits to the doctor are preventative mechanisms. Now, some people say, I don't go to the doctor. Well, you're probably self-medicating based on the inf- access to information that you have. Good for you. That's great. The doctors love that. But at the same time, there are people for whom they don't know how to compute the information. They don't know how to translate the information so it becomes adaptable. They don't see how that kind of information can help. How do you tell someone who has lived all their lives growing up eating a certain diet How do you tell them, how do you expect them to radically change overnight and change their way of eating when they grew up seeing their parents and grandparents eat like that? These are some of the challenges that healthcare professionals face. They face challenges of people disbelieving them and not trusting them. It's kind of a a culture where they don't trust healthcare professionals because they're outsiders. They don't trust what they see because they could do more harm to me than, than good. So when you look at certain parts of of, of the state and certain parts, and this is true in rural America, it it is very difficult. And I thought that was rural America until I experienced the same thing in an urban setting right here in Detroit, in the city of Detroit. I was constantly amazed. This is why now, in in light of the pandemic that we're facing and this, this virus that looks like it's viral already, you are wondering why do they keep insisting on washing hands? Why do they keep insisting on social distancing? It's because there are some people, if they don't hear it over and over again, they won't apply it. And if you don't say it enough for them to recognize that it is a required action, they simply won't do it. They will simply continue to act and to act in their forms and the ways that they're accustomed to acting. So sometimes it's very difficult to change the culture of people and how they think, to impact their thinking, to tell them that this is a different way to present this problem. This is a different way. Well, I know you're accustomed to eating pork all the time, but we want to minimize eating pork. Maybe a healthier option would be fish. And then people will always say, well, where do I get the fish from? Where do I go and buy the fish from? The corner store? I don't have corner store. That's in an urban setting. But in somewhere like Eastern Kentucky, where are they going to get fish from? And like I said, in some of these places, there are endemic issues, such as the soil is bad. The water is bad. The water has been infused with coal and mining production over time. It's been infused with chemicals that have leaked into the water table that large industry and big industry won't admit to. 
So people are drinking water that is contaminated and it's bad for them. And then, of course, there are the social factors like they don't believe. So when you look at all of these, these are all contributing factors. So if you live in an urban area or you have access to better information and you are able to use that information to help you be well, then you are blessed. Indeed, you are very, very blessed. So I'm going to post the link to this story so that we can all take a page out of it. And here's another thing. I didn't even talk about the policies of this. I didn't talk about how political measures sometimes keep people bound and how politics define regions and how sometimes it pays to just keep people poor and uneducated so you can continue to influence their votes. And because my people perish for lack of knowledge, they don't know anything. They just continue to vote along certain patterns and lines that do not help them, that favor big business. We've, this happens a lot in, 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 in certain parts of the country. This explains why in certain states like Louisiana and Mississippi, we see the same results over and over again. And there are people who are trying to help. They're looking at it from a scientific point of view. They're trying to understand the problem so they know what tools to apply to fixing the problem. You and I might not agree with it, but they're trying to help. It's up to the folks to say, you know what? I saw this happen to my mother and my grandparents. They died at 50 and I'm 40. I don't want to die yet. I don't believe that I have to die at 50. You see what I mean? So I want to know what can I do to change, to change this. And yes, our biology can be rewired. It can be rewired by lifestyle changes. You ever wonder why rich people live longer? It's because they don't eat the junk over time that some of us eat, right? We can rewire our biology. That's all we need to do is to rewire it. So change our way of living. The more information I get, the more I'm exposed, the more I adjust how I behave, and the more I adjust what I eat. So I find that in this pandemic foolishness that's going on, I didn't know how to buy canned foods because I don't eat from cans. I don't eat food from cans. <laughs> I was standing in the store like, I can't imagine going into a grocery store and not being able to buy fruits and vegetables because that's what I eat. I, I went to the grocery store and there were no eggs, and I'm like, so what's going to be my source of protein? That's all I eat are eggs. Do you see what I'm saying? So the more information that I have and I'm exposed to is the more I adjust because I recognize that they're doing more research. So I look for more research that is going to impact me, that is going to help me and benefit me. In a lot of ways, this is the way of thinking that we have to overcome. We refer to these as disparities, right? And, and there are certain conditions that contribute to the delivery of healthcare and the disparities that exist within population groups, right? Uh, a few years ago, I was a participant and a, and a speaker on a rostrum of speakers at the Arkansas Biennial Convention, and they were focused on how does violence impact healthcare in Arkansas? You want to call that a deep state, red state, you can call it whatever. The governor said, I cannot understand why? He's as Republican as they come. He said there is a correlation between violence and health. And he said, we got to stop it. we got to find a way. Can you believe it? The governor. And he, he created this initiative within his state. And so they invited folks like me to come in and talk about the disparities that we see. Why? What are the contributing factors to poor health? People were dropping 
at 40 and 49 from preventable stuff, stuff that you and I know better than. You know, you don't eat too much salt. You don't eat too much sugar, everything in moderation. But what happens when people have a culture of eating that? How are you going to tell somebody who grew up eating pork rind and using pork grease to cook everything else that that's going to harden their arteries later? How do you, how do you get past that barrier? Well, these are some of the challenges that healthcare professionals face that they have to overcome in order to help folks, to help themselves, right? Uh, public policy and health experts at the University of Kentucky are adapting to the, the structural constraints of Eastern Kentucky by building a new system of public health and prevention. This new system will bring healthcare directly to patients and will hopefully lead to an increase in health screenings and a decrease in cancer-related deaths. Kentucky faces significant higher rates of mortality and morbidity from heart disease, lung disease, diabetes, and cancer. And this is marked by abject poverty and soaring unemployment. In a lot of those places, when the, let's just be clear, folks. Economics plays a big part in health. When the mind's left, the job's left. People don't have a way to earn an income. How are they going to survive? Do you remember a few years ago when some hikers went into a, into a coal mine and dropped? They were actually searching for copper to come back and sell. They shouldn't have been in the mines in the first place because the mines had been what? Abandoned. You see what I mean? But that was driven by poverty. So poverty is driving a lot of the conversation around healthcare. We refer to it, I did a podcast on it a few months ago. We refer to it as deaths of despair, what we were finding in the Rust Belt here in the Midwest where when the factories closed and the jobs left, that people didn't have any other way of making it forward. These are some of the factors that drive this. Unemployment drives poverty, and poverty drives bad health, and poverty drives violence. And we know this, and we have to prevent it. This is why having a pandemic is not a good thing. Because when people feel that when people can't work, and people don't have money, they resort to violence. And when they resort to violence, bad things happen. So this is a setback to our economy, and it's a setback to our way or modern way of life. And it's important that we understand that. So when they tell us to wash our hands and practice social distancing, we don't think that being flippant and dismissive that they don't know what they're talking about. These are folks who have studied this. I respect healthcare professionals. They have spent many years studying models, not just here in the U.S., but all over the world, to come up with the kind of information that they have. And we need to understand that our personal behavior impacts everybody else because we don't live on an island. I don't live by myself. When I get up and leave here today, I'm going to interact with the general public. Whatever my personal standards of sanitation and hygiene are, I am taking that with me to someone else. I'm going to touch surfaces. I'm going to sneeze and cough. Do you see what I'm saying? So when they tell us that we need to be mindful of these things, we need to pay attention. It's common sense, and it works, and it prevents disease at the end of the day. This is why when they say don't eat certain foods, I'm like, okay. When they say don't drink certain things, I don't. I am mindful of it because I recognize that me being healthy is better for me, better for my family, and better for the kind of health care that I will have access to. 
right? I want to thank you so much. I've taken up so much time. I've run out of time significantly. <laughs> and I want to thank you so much for being a part of our show today. As we leave today, we know we'll be back tomorrow. We ask that no one panics. I pray you peace. I pray you love, and I pray that you will find peace. I pray that you will reach out to someone today and ask them how they're doing. Call someone, check in on someone, ask them, how are you doing? Be kind, be a human, and let's all remember we're all in this together. We are all in this science petri dish, so be mindful of our own sanitation standards. Wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. Don't touch surfaces. Use a tissue or antibacterial wipes. Wash your hands and wash your hands. Thank you so much, everybody. Be blessed. See you tomorrow. Thanks so much, everybody. This is Harriet Kamek with Down to Earth. Thanks so much. Goodbye for now. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.